Welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Welcome. Hello. I'm Hello, Lane. Everyone. I'm Jan. And we are glad to be back on on a sort of a track. Um, mm -hmm. Getting another episode ready and out. And we welcome everyone for joining us. Thank you so much Thank for you. listening. Our last episode was about uh, Vonnetru, and we had Ember Cook on to discuss Vonnetru and the Vanir, who are very dear to our hearts as well. Yes. That was actually a really great time to speak with Ember, and a lot mm -hmm. of great information. And Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed Ember's explanation of things mm -hmm. and some of the, the projects that she's working on, which was really cool, and bringing ritual and honor to the front for the Vonnetru, mm -hmm. the vein, and that was really nice, and it was great to see that. Yeah, I think it's good timing, too, because I've run into more and more people who identify as Vonnetru or at least have Vonnet-centric practice, and letting them know that there are extant traditions out there, or at least one that I know of, and probably more, uh, you know, if anybody else wants to speak up on the on the subject, please contact us. Uh, that's a good thing. So Absolutely. And another great thing is building traditions, mm -hmm. uh, showing that... Uh, heathenry is not dusty and old. It's it's living and it's changing, and it and it works with the people that are honoring and worshiping the gods. That's true. It's possible to to have a very there. There is a lot of variation in heathenry, and there I think there's a lot of value to the dusty reconstructionist. I think that there's there's a posit, a positive value to people who try to look deeply into these things and look deeply into the past to get uh, a vision and a view of them. I still, you know, a lot of my practice I consider to be kind of reconstructionist, but there's only so much you can do in that direction, and um, I'm definitely not as strict as some. But I think it's important to see a spectrum because most of, that is most of what we see when we see heathenry expressed online and in books. And what I've been discovering is that's just one portion of it. And there's a whole wide, you know, heathen culture and different ways of approaching spirituality and our beliefs. Absolutely. And I wasn't saying that heathenry was dusty and old. Oh, <laughs> just misunderstood. Yeah, no, no. It was um, that being informed by what we can learn from the past is awesome. And that's, yeah. those are things that, that are very valuable for us is to be informed and to learn what we can mm -hmm. and to incorporate what we can, because a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of the way humanity has deals with life hasn't changed. That's true. Uh, the tools that we use to deal with life have obviously, mm -hmm. um, we've gone from axes made of stones tied to sticks with sinews to, uh, computers uh -huh. and the tools have changed, but a lot of the way, a lot of our basic needs haven't. We That's we need true. we need companionship. We need our our folk. Uh -huh. We need family. We need food and air and love and compassion and and to feel connected to things greater than us. Feel connected and connected to the gods. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh -huh. And those those basic things don't change. Our ancestors they approached them with the the tools and the things they had on hand at the time and they mm -hmm. dealt with it and there was a lot of value there and we have new ways of approaching it and the same things and so such as using podcast yeah absolutely <laughs> that's really great and being being connected worldwide now before mm -hmm. uh, our, a lot many of our ancestors were just connected very closely within within a couple of mountain ranges if that it's true and um now we can reach <clears throat> out across the world so that's wonderful mm -hmm. i agree and so yeah, and speaking of different variations of heathenry, right. 
we're having a conversation here, so we're going to have a couple of topics this time, and we hope that you will find interest in, in all of them. And the first bit of a topic is something that has weighed heavy on both of Lane and my hearts and yeah. our hearts. So we wanted to talk about heathenry in general and uh, the variations of heathenry. What we were specifically looking to talk about was inclusivity versus exclusivity in heathenry because, Absolutely. you know, we're, we, we both belong to demographics that um, for some groups just would not be, you know, allowed um, as members. And with the underlying message that it's inappropriate for folks like us to um, engage in honoring or worship of the gods. Uh, broad statements are often made about who's heathen and who's not. There are people who love to refer to people who don't agree with their particular brand of heathenry as Norse neo-pagans rather than heathens. Or um, wicked true. Yeah, or wicked true. And sorry, it's really hard to get us to stop calling ourselves heathens, and we're actually not going to do that. Absolutely. So, no. But there are groups that feel for a variety of different reasons that ancestry and sexuality and gender identity are thing are reasons and other immutable traits in a person are reasons to exclude them from our practice. Unfortunately, it affects a lot of people. It's true. And there are some groups that have defined their group membership mm -hmm. requirements to be only of a certain racial ethnicity. Yeah. Or gender identity. Yeah. And sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lane and I wanted to address that and just bring it up and say that we're not like that. Obviously. <laughs> but yeah. And we believe that the gods have very big halls. Mm -hmm. And they have very welcoming arms open to a lot of people. And they call a lot of different folks. I mean, you'll definitely see tendencies. People who are more interested in our gods tend, honestly, to be more, you know, white of European ancestry that we know of. But people's people's ancestry, first off, gets very mixed over over the years. You, any individual human has a lot of direct ancestors. It's something like an average of 1,024 in a 200-year span. Those are people who are your direct ancestors. You go back far enough that the numbers are too large to suggest that your ancestry never, ever, ever left this little tiny village in, you know, wherever. So we don't have, we have advanced genetic tests nowadays, but I don't also know of any organizations that actually require anything like that for membership. They're not going to. They're, when they say things like that and express things like that, by and large, they're looking at the color of a person's skin and making a snap judgment based on that, on what their ancestry is or whether or not they belong to the group as well as defining what they consider traditional mm -hmm. gender roles uh, mm -hmm. or orientation roles that yep. people should be in. So, And I mean, I guess what the upshot of this is, is I have met a lot of people and spoken to a lot of people who are afraid to attend or go to local heathen groups because they don't know what the group is going to be like. I'll be honest, when I first came here to San Diego, there was a pub moot that I was invited to, and you were the only person that I was there for, so I did have a getaway car just in case. I had <laughs> friends uh, uh, chilling out nearby in case things got uncomfortable and I had to leave. Unfortunately, for, for me, the local kindred is very warm and accepting. But you're not alone. You folks out there who are queer, who are people of color, whose family are, who are trans, who are any of these other categories that are excluded and calling themselves heathen and wanting to be heathen and being heathen, you are not alone. Um, and 
if we can, we will help you. If you are looking for people in your area who are an inclusive group or in your region who are an inclusive group, or if you are looking for inclusive groups online, we have suggestions. We can point you in directions if you contact us. Know that you're not alone. Know that I have met every color and every stripe and every variety of human as a heathen, or at least a whole, whole bunch of them and combinations thereof. And uh, we have a lot of variety and a lot of us are accepting as long as you're a good person and a person of integrity. That's what it's about. It's about yeah. building a community where we are. I mean, let's face it, in many, well, in practically every place in the world today through, as we said, the interconnectivity of the world nowadays, mm -hmm. people are traveling all over the place and a lot of us are transplants to other places and building that community where you are because we're separated from where we grew up or where our family, our blood families are located or mm -hmm. how they accept us or not. Uh, sometimes building that community where you are is, is, is the most important thing to do is to build that and to, to develop that. And that's a great thing to do is to, and to have that connection and mm -hmm. allies and people that are willing to do that are, are a good part of it. And one of the ways to make sure that if you are starting a community or forming one or putting one together to make sure that people feel welcome is to specifically say that they're welcome. I know it's awkward. I know it can be uncomfortable. But if people are assuming that uh, you have to be white if you're heathen and they see a heathen gathering mentioned and there is nothing on their site or their source information that suggests that they aren't that particular stereotype, you need to say it. You need to be upfront about it. Absolutely. People won't know that they're that they're included or welcome unless you say people of all races, unless you say people of all gender identities, unless you say people of all sexualities, or even name things specifically. You have to say things like this, otherwise, and this is coming from you know somebody who has had to deal with with being excluded from groups because of who I am. Otherwise, we're just going to assume that we're not welcome. But if you do you're creating a, an atmosphere of hospitality. And there are other things that you can do to give that kind of hospitality, like at a ritual, you know, when there's a rite that's being held, if there's somebody who looks like they don't fit in or they're worried that they don't fit in and they're not talking to anybody, make sure you talk to them. Make sure you let them know that they are welcome because there's nothing like showing up to some public event and having everyone break into their little fa uh, familiar cliques amongst each other and you're not, you're not part of that. If you're already not sure if you belong, that's a pr that's pretty much the last time you're going to be going to something like that. Yeah. So be hospitable to the people who show up to your groups and let them know that hospitality will be extended to them. Warm welcomes go far. Indeed. Indeed they do. And when you look at a groups, look at look it over, look at what they say on their websites and what their public sayings are and the thing and how they treat people. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So with that, we will move on. We're we have a couple of things that we'd like to work on, and we just wanted to address that because it kind of raised the head in the last couple of months, and there was a, a lot of stuff going on, and we mm -hmm. wanted to invite people to be welcomed and to feel welcome. Yeah. And so... And to know that there are people who will welcome them. Absolutely. So, <coughs> Lane, let's talk about a really cool topic that... I felt has been very important 
really since I started my pagan practice, which is local practices, local mm-hmm. heathen. You call it local heathenry, which I, I love mean, that term. This is this is what's been on my mind. I've had a V in my bonnet for the last couple of months about this, which is she has um, a very beautiful bonnet on today, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, and now I'm distracted because you you complimented me. Uh, no, the the thing that I, has been occurring to me is. Uh, when we talk about traditional heathen rituals and and practices and festivals and you know i mean essentially holy days we have a whole wide variety of them a number of them and i've looked at them and it's confounding if you go online or look at individual sources people will say well you know you have deesting here and you have um winter nights here and you have winter finding here and it suspiciously corresponds really well with the wiccan wheel of the year which i won't hold against anybody but is also not necessarily traditional or how how it happened. But when you look in specific regions, like for instance, if you look at uh, Deesting or or Deesablot, that could have been held anywhere from, you know, around Yule and Mother's Night to mid-spring. And they were held at different times in different places. There were different ceremonies that were held in specific places that weren't held elsewhere. Gods that were venerated at certain times. There was no universal calendar book of days no universal set of well eight high days or anything like that people constructed their practice based on the things that happened around them it's getting cold well we'd better you know we'd better ask for warmth and safety and prosperity and the strength to survive the winter who do we call to to that who do we honor for that and who we honor and who we call to to that that depends on who your tribe speaks to in the first place um or who they focus on in the first place. Consequently, a lot of other things were like when different regions of the world, their spring starts Mm -hmm. at different times. You you start in the south, more close to the equator, they warm up a lot quicker and Mm -hmm. things start growing sooner than way in the north. So you might have a first growth ritual uh, down in the south southern areas like maybe in january whereas in the northern areas it might not even start until late april (laughs) and moving to san diego has really influenced um this for me too because i realized that the spring and summer is when things die um when everything is like winter here because yeah everything goes dormant well except for the except for the plants that are brought in so the non-native plants they kind of grow they have their growing seasons but you look at native stuff they're in a dormant stage well i understand wanting to connect with the stream of ancestry and celebrate the rites that they did some of the rites don't feel appropriate or at least don't feel appropriate the way that they're celebrated in the regions that i've lived in like you know doing something in the spring for the return of life just seems wrong in san diego because it's when the summer sun comes out and everything turns brown (laughs) but I would rather do something like that in uh, in autumn when the rains start to fall and the hills start to turn green. And a lot of these festivals and things, you know, they, they, were, they were about things, not just the natural cycles, which I do believe it's important to watch, but, you know, personal cycles and the cycles of community too. So I'm not sure that I'd want to have a bloat for tax day, um, <laughs> but there are modern things that are going on in our lives that I feel that it would be appropriate for communities to celebrate. I do know heathens who do bloats to their ancestors and to the the war dead on Veterans Day and Memorial Day, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of other examples. Um, You know, we still, as a culture, we still practice, 
you all. We have we have Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever. We've got the holiday season in midwinter. So that's still there. So it's appropriate for us still to have a festival. But if I'm down in the desert here, I'm not worried about hiding from the cold. I'm not worried about surviving a long cold winter. I'm happy that it's cool and that I can go out with a hoodie or sweater on. Yes. And so I think, I mean, though it's a radical idea, I think it might be helpful for us to tailor the purposes of some of these rights, especially the ones that we're, we're still carrying in our culture, in our Western culture, to local practices, to things that are significant to our individual communities. And so I've been turning my brain around on how to do that. And I gave one example. I don't have a lot of other ones yet because it's been, you know, I'm still thinking on that. But Jan, do you have thoughts? Well, yeah, uh, this happened, or I started really thinking about that when... I used to lead a lot of full moon rituals. Okay. And when I was a young pagan and newbie heathen and I was still leading full moon rituals, I kind of took the the full moon names off of the generically accepted yeah. calendars and suddenly we're doing the frozen moon in December and I'm like, wait a second, it doesn't freeze here. Yeah. <laughs> in San Diego where I live. I'm like or, or the snow moon. I'm like, I don't get snow. Right, yeah. So what can I do? And so I started actually thinking about, okay, how do my cycles go? What do mm-hmm. the moons correspond to here? So I created a fire moon in August and September because that's when it's it's hottest mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And I have a cold moon in December or January because that's generally when it is the coldest in this area or a dark moon even and like you were mentioning Yule, uh, a great thing about Yule is that you can still celebrate it not as a a coming back from the cold, but a returning of the light because yeah. it still guts the darkest night of the year mm-hmm. and then the, then it starts going light again and you can still observe those. But some of how you, uh, how one could do that is based on, we, based on what's going on around them. Right. And, I've thought a lot about that myself, and I've tried to tailor Good. my my rituals and practices around that uh, for that purpose. Um, because, like the cult, like the full moon calendar, that comes out of British spiritual traditions mm-hmm. and based on Britain or northern Northern America, way north North America, like northeast, like Maine and New York and stuff, mm-hmm. where those climates are pretty pretty similar right. so those moons would coincide but you get down into the desert areas they don't coincide like for instance here we got the um we got the santa Ana winds blowing in out of the desert uh making everything hot and dry mm-hmm. as i understand it and that's that they're one of the causes or one of the carriers of the fires have a bloat to the uh to the whites of those winds and uh to the gods that protect your community and ask them to keep the fires at bay and keep them away you know, as a, for example, of, of, you know, another thought, think about the way the cycles of the world. And, you know, Ember did a little bit of talking about this um, last mm-hmm. time when she talked about seasonal differences between West Coast and East Coast. Think about how the cycles of the world affect you, how they affect the people around you, how they affect um, your community and also just the larger world, this, this microcosm that you live in. And um, mark those days and sanctify or you know those days um and you may and people may find that they like the mm-hmm. the wheel of the year either the heathen wheel of the year as it right. is or the the wiccan wheel of the year and those are great foundational they practices are. Mm-hmm. maybe turn that wheel a little bit and make it coincide more with 
where one is or or alter it change it a little Mm -hmm. bit say you know you we don't get spring at this time we get it at this time and then do it then and that's great or or your harvest season may fall into different a different month or or area and that's when you celebrate i think um another good example was something that you and i did together very shortly after i arrived here within a couple of months um, you invited me because uh, El Nino is coming. First off, it was going to be the rainy season and El Nino is coming, so it was supposed to be ferocious rains. So you invited me to uh, to blot to New York, the Ningvi, uh, Ingvi Frey, to, um, to help moderate, bring us lots of rains, but, you know, not drown us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we stood on the cliffs, on, on sun- sunset cliffs, and, and did our blot to them. There's a little bit of local heathenry right Absolutely, there, too. Yes. Um, timing wise and, and location wise so and a part of that a part of doing those local rituals is to recognize the local land spirits yeah uh, mm-hmm. that's very true also land spirits are are connected to the land where they are and it's good to recognize them and honor them and I think for me honoring the local land spirits where I am I, I feel a lot more connection and, and, and integration with the local land spirits. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome. Good. So um, we're encouraging folks to to do that. Make your heathenry local around you, where you are. Find those things. Uh, if you have a wonderful time when the butterflies just flood your area, have a butterfly bloat. Yeah. <laughs> and that may come around the same time every year. And what a great thing to do mm-hmm. is to honor that that season or those changes that that transformation from one one form of life to a different from mm-hmm. as the they go in from emerge from their chrysalis into this a whole new creature i can't remember the country but but uh they're called uh Freya's hen, um like Freya's hen in oh. in one of the uh the northern countries patty talks about it in her book also so you know mm-hmm. have something for freya when it's when it's time for the butterflies to show up yeah absolutely look for those signs just look around and see what the signs are you know when things change when leaves change locally or naturally the thing is we're talking to each other we're having this dialogue um not just us in the audience but heathens in general although we're having these local dialogues we're also having a national and international dialogue about what heathenry is um it's not official necessarily but it's going on nevertheless as we we study and we share and we give our opinions and ideas on things like that um and there are a lot of people that feel that heathenry is is inherently local so while it's good for us to be talking about this and find at least try and pare things down to what the basics or what you would consider the basics to be very little of that. I, I personally feel that very little of that is going to carry over from location to location and region to region necessarily. So I think now that we've expanded, now that we've connected, now that we've managed to start sharing ideas across, you know, across the world, it'll be time, it'll be a fertile time for us to take those ideas and take the shared lore and knowledge and commentary and opinions on them and build our own specific rights and traditions in our regions that are tied to the land and tied to us and tied to our homes and i I think it's time for that basically Uh, absolutely and the and the share those and a lot of people are doing that i'll be honest i'm not saying no one is right but and you should share that with other folks saying Mm -hmm. hey this is what i do here and some folks may think wow that's really great oh yeah you know we have a similar thing that goes on where i am and then that that could be a great inspiration to honor something that one 
one kind of overlooks because of where they are. So. And some folks will say you're doing it wrong, but guess what? They're not the boss of you. That's so, right. Unless they are, in which case, well, you need a different boss. <laughs> it's it's great. It's a, and it's really exciting for me when I um, do things based locally. Mm -hmm. It kind of really helps me to connect where I am a little bit more. Fun stuff about that. Mm -hmm. And love to hear some experiences and what people are doing. In your locale, what do you do? What are some really cool things that um, are unique to or special to your area that you honor and practice? Yeah, tell It'd us about your about local that. rights. Tell us about your local practices. Yeah, let us know, and we'll we'll try and make a space to share them too. And as part of doing that, um, <clears throat> I thought it would be great for us to talk about creating our own devotional prayers to the gods mm. and goddesses. Um, Lane is quite a prolific devotional writer and she's got Thank some you. beautiful prayers out and songs and I've seen a lot of stuff in books that I've read and mm -hmm. suggested rituals and prayers and I think wow those are really great and I've used some in my oh, own yeah. devotional work and I've often thought oh I can't write a prayer or I can't write a devotion because I'm just not a poet mm -hmm. but I have come to find out that's not true I can yeah you can <laughs> and it's exciting when it comes out and mm -hmm. it's a little frustrating at first because I, I I'm my own worst enemy at times but I kind of thought it would be fun to encourage people to write their own prayers to the gods and goddesses mm -hmm. and um, Lane you've been doing it for probably several years yeah and uh, how did you find or start coming to doing your own? Do you, were you a little nervous at first or did you find it difficult? I or? am every time I publish when I get nervous. I get nervous because I'm, I'm terrified someone is going to yell at me that two words that are next to each other contradict something lore based that I ignored or forgot or, or just don't don't hold with. And that actually honestly hasn't happened to me. I haven't received a lot of criticism on it. Which of course opens the floodgates for plenty, <laughs> but um, but one of the one of the things that has been really positive is people thanking me for that for doing that because not everyone is a poet or not everyone is inclined towards doing this work and not everyone has to do every kind of work, mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes, you know, um, sometimes it is better to have a source or it's good to have a source to go to where you can find a particular prayer or rite or style of doing something and just pick it up and copy it whole cloth. But um, what you're talking about, Jan, doing your own thing, the, that personal and private expression, whether you're good with words or not, those are your words that are coming out, and they're more meaningful to you than words that come from anyone else, even if those words happen to be prettier. And I also think you're right. Thank you for sharing your experiences that you're way, Elaine, because it's so true. And I love how you phrase it, that those are your own words. Absolutely, yeah. And those are words when, when we are in a meditative state or a ritual state and, or even a preparation of a ritual before we actually do the ritual. Yeah. And we come up with those words that we put together in one or two sentences or maybe even longer. That's our gift to the gods and goddesses. It is. That's an because offering. That is an offering, and mm -hmm. that's what that's one of the beauty, beautiful things. And what we want to encourage folks to do is to not be afraid of offering those to the gods and goddesses. Yeah. Because that's from your heart, from our heart, mm -hmm. to them. And I think they appreciate that. And I think they love that. Mm -hmm. 
um, when it comes because it's it's a giving a piece of yourself. Any artist knows that when they paint put put paint on a canvas, that's a piece of themselves. Or when someone writes a song or a piece of music, it's true. Or crafts something or build something, that's a piece of themselves that go into that. Mm-hmm. And when we come up with our own little word and it can be three words together or a sure. sentence yeah uh and start that way start with um a, a, a word or two or or mm-hmm. learn learn what a limerick is and just try to do it in that sing songy thing or yeah. or just replace roses are red violets are blue with different words that mm-hmm. same tonal and that sing songiness to, to start it off it will be your your words and I found that those are beautiful things to, to offer the gods. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be shared with anyone else. They don't have to be published on Facebook or published in a book. They can just be our own gift to the gods if we so choose. Yeah. Um, those are things that we want to encourage people to do. Yeah, and I definitely, I I would love to see more uh, more sharing of that kind of thing more exposure i you know i'm i'm working on a project of trying to collect devotional work for freya to publish of modern devotional stuff because we have we have the one good book on freya definitely uh freya lady vanadis which is is um the best examination of the lore on her but there's been a lot there are a lot of people who are devoted to her a lot of modern practice so my thought was make some categories put out some writing challenges and get some material and I've got some replies so far. So I have a prayer that I wrote to Freya. Okay. I would like to share if it Sure. Falcon Sorceress, hear my prayer. Lay your cloak about me. May its feathered wings bear me high above Midgard's plains. Give me clarity and knowledge. Imbue me with your sage wisdom, sight to see beyond the veil. Courage to walk the nine worlds, strength to ally with the abandoned, confidence to stand boldly as I am. Hear my declaration of devotion. May I honor you before the folk. May I honor you in your halls. May I honor you before the gods. Hail, bright lady, brisings bearer. May I reflect your gifts and power. Hail, Freya. That's beautiful. And that covers a lot of, of ground with her, too talks about different things that she's done in different aspects also Uh, one of the things so the ones that I've written more recently have been specific to I don't like using the term aspect because people use that in in odd ways sometimes in relation to our gods but different sides of her different things that people notice about her different names things like that so this was for her in her role as Blotgithia Hail, Freya, Blotgidia, priestess of the sacrifice. You keep the sacred flame and the blade that cuts to free the offering from the offered. When we reach out to that which is beyond us, you are there at the gate. In the flame we pour our blood, our sweat, our tears. We give our passion, our toil, our pain. Let it pass through the gates and into the hands of the gods. May it be transformed and showered back upon us as amber, bronze, and gold. Teach us the good gifts to give, O Geffen, and the prices to pay to achieve our deepest desires. Hail, Freya, Blotgithia, Priestess of the Sacrifice. Hail, Freya, wow. Hail. So we can we can speak about them in specific ways, or we can speak about them more broadly, but one of the things that's good in a devotional prayer is to um, 
to call on attributes of them and remind yourselves of them because half of it is reaching out or asking them for blessings and half of it is drawing drawing you closer to them drawing their attention and making sure that they know who they're who who you're calling to so yeah and i think it's good to as you said to reach out about their role one of their roles or their mm -hmm. their the things that they do or remind yourself of their qualities the, yeah the things and and you can focus on one or three or more mm -hmm. uh, it's just so many different ways to to structure a prayer or a devotional poetry or uh, something like that but I think the most important thing is is to go ahead and do it yeah and not, and not not be afraid that we're not poets or that we don't have yeah. the words to just go out and do it because it's again as we said earlier it's our gift to them and that's living practice yeah and it gets easier the more you do it definitely so that's good stuff yeah a lot of fun of course if any feel called to share those prayers if you'd like to please that would do be wonderful yeah so any of the gods and goddesses would be great uh -huh. and uh, it's all good to do that yeah let's do a little rune poll. What do you mm -hmm. say, Lane? And I say we'll definitely. We'll get ready do to it. wrap this up. I've got my Ponderosa Pine runes. And. Prithra, yeah. I was wondering about that. She might be coming up today. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you think whenever you see that rune? Well, for me, I've actually just recently done a lot of reading about it, but and confirmed a lot of what I think about it is that it's about revelation. It's about making things clearer uh, and understanding a little bit. It's like deeper wisdom coming mm. clear. One of the authors that I was reading recently spoke about it as like birth. Mm -hmm. And birth can be the same thing when you birth an idea or give uh, a new idea comes forth. So um, that's what I, that's how I see Perthro. I see it as possibility. Now, the rune poems about it uh, tend to lean towards positive luck um, or suggest positive luck. Often associated with anything could happen or we don't know. But I generally stick with the more closer to the interpretation of positive. But no rune is one thing. And in the depths of Perthro, I see the well of Fergalmir, where the waters of the world pour out the waters that change, that wash across the world, that touch it. Everything, in a way, is influenced by what comes out of it, by that possibility. In it, I also see the well that we stare into and save, where possibilities fly up in our faces, where visions form, where we see reflected in the water the flames that take the shape of the things that are being asked about. And thus, Perthro is a rune that I use frequently for divination and divinatory practice mm -hmm. um, to help me tap into that and reach out to the weird. So we've got a, got the rune poem here. The gaming piece mean, means play and laughter. We're in the middle of the warriors sit the beer hall in the beer hall blithely together. It paints a pretty picture, a positive. Uh, talks about gambling um, and refers to the rune as the game piece. And it suggests, again, to me, gambling is possibility. You can win big, you can you can or lose entirely, <laughs> or or just you know break even, which is most of life. Yeah. So, yeah, Perthro, I love the runes. Me too. And I love studying them. So I encourage folks to study, and a very excellent volume of rune study for a great 
beginning study. Is you can't see, but I'm Vanna Whiting it right now. Fa- she is Vanna Whiting, Taking Up the Runes by Diana L. Paxson. Mm-hmm. And it's great because it's not just Diana's take on the runes. Right. Mm-hmm. She references several other writers as well. So you yeah. get a nice variety of of ideas about the runes. Yeah. And that's great to do that. It helps me and I think the reader then to say, okay, I resonate with that or I don't resonate with that, what that author is thinking. And it kind of helps, it it really challenges me to go find my, Mm -hmm. my understanding as well and how it works. So uh, that's what's the great thing about that book. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Thank you, Vanna. (laughs) (laughs) So with that. Well, I mean, I, I do worship the Vanir, so that might make me a Vanna White. A Vanna uh, like White. W I G H T. I mean, white there Serbian. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Yeah, I'm a Vanna White. <laughs> I'm not the origin of that joke. Just credit uh, where it's no credit where it's not due. But <laughs> first time I've heard it. Okay, fair. Good. Thank you everyone for joining us for Gifts of the Weird and Thank for you. downloading our podcast. Yeah. And we hope it will be a blessing to you. And let us know what you would like to hear about. We have an email at giftsoftheweird at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. There's also a Twitter account at Weird Gifts, and find us on Facebook. We have a page. We do. So look forward to hearing your your experiences. What's going on? What's going on with your local practices? What's going on with your poetry and devotionals? Mm-hmm. Uh, share that with us. And Akribola, to paraphrase Havamal, hail to those who listen, and thank you for for being with us here. Thank you. Thank you.